my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. If you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to look on the back of your bulletin. We've got an outline for our message today, the second in our series called Redemptive Relationships. We're going to be focusing on marriage today. And the title of my message is Happily Even After. Uh, to start with today, I thought uh, I would just ask you guys if you had heard about the guy who married his cell phone. Did you hear about it? This, this is not a joke, okay? Check this out. I've got this plan. It's something different. It's something new. Something borrowed, something Bluetooth. This man from California married the love of his life, his cell phone. In a sense, my smartphone has been my longest relationship. We are gathered here today on this very exciting and joyous occasion. Donning a black tuxedo with his one phone case propped on a pillow. This man tied the knot to his electronic device, where else? In a Vegas chapel. And do you also promise to love her, honor her, comfort and keep her, and be faithful to her? I do. The point of this preposterous marriage was to prove a point. What I hope my wedding will do is to somehow act as a symbolic gesture to show how precious our phones are becoming in our daily lives. The event was not legally binding, so if the groom wants to bail, he can deactivate the relationship at any time. It is now my honor and my privilege to pronounce you husband and smartphone. Well, there goes till data do us part. For InsideEdition.com, I'm Lee Sheps. Well, at least you've called the cell phone a her. I mean, you know, it's safe to say that marriage is in trouble. If you are like me, um, you know, even the most conservative statistics out there on marriage today are sobering. Uh, one out of every two marriages ends in divorce today, and it's sad. I mean, I don't know about you. I prefer good news to bad. I like uh, humor over tragedy, uh, but I also prefer truth over fiction or fantasy. And the fact is, marriages are in trouble. This, if, this issue affects all of us. Uh, you know, whether you're single, you're single again, whether you're a widow or a widower, um, this issue affects us because marriages are really the, one of the most fundamental building blocks in our society. And the fact of the matter is, is that a strong marriage is not just a fluke. I mean, um, it, it, wherever and whenever you find a marriage that is strong and healthy and happy, it's the result of two people who have made not just one decision, but many consecutive decisions to put that relationship in the proper perspective. It's ironic to me how many people spend way more time and energy and money on a ceremony, a wedding ceremony that's going to last less than an hour uh, than they do on their whole lifetime, their marriage together. I think it's also fair to observe that there are a lot of enemies of marriage today. Uh, what I mean by that is how different society, different our culture is. Now, there may have been a time in history, in a bygone era, when the prevailing attitude 
was that yes, marriage is important and therefore choose wisely and once you've chosen, it's till death do you part. But that, those days are, are, are gone by and large in our society today. In fact, culture has tried to not only redefine marriage, but I think, again, you would agree with me that marriage, or excuse me, society has largely sought to undermine marriage. There's really only one credible source for what it takes to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime, a marriage that's happily even after. And that's found in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 22 today. But before you go there, I want you to look with me at this statement that I made. Because I think, truth be told, marriage can be the closest thing to heaven on earth or to hell on earth, depending on whether or not you're following God's blueprint. Because you see, it's God's blueprints that are designed to help us to be blessed and to live happily even after. In this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle starts with the wives, and he says this. He said, wives, you need to submit to and respect your own husband. Now, why do you think God made this one rule for the women? Well, in my opinion, it's because he understands men. Noted Christian counselor and marriage and family therapist, uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, uh, in one of his seminal books many years ago, pointed out that people have basically two needs, two fundamental needs deep down on the inside. One is for security, and the other is for significance. Now, it's true that all of us have each of these needs, and that they, the, the degree to which we need those things fulfilled will vary throughout life. I personally believe that a man's dominant need is for significance. A man needs to feel worthwhile, that he really matters, that the contribution to life that he's making is making a genuine and a positive difference, and that his leadership is valued and valuable. And you know, when a wife submits to and respects her husband in this way, she's actually being used by God to meet one of the deepest needs in his life. And the question, of course, comes is, what does it mean to submit? I mean, the fact is, is that the biblical definition of submission is very different from what our society would define it as today. In fact, I was thinking about that this week. You know, most of the time when people talk about submission, they're thinking of an MMA hold, you know? They're thinking of, you know, you know, like, that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches, in fact, that submission does not equal inferiority. It doesn't mean that a woman, by submitting to her husband's leadership, has just become a doormat. That is not what it means. It means to willingly adapt. It means to harmonize. It means to complement, to be flexible rather than compete with your husband. Now, regardless of the 
you know, what the Bible says, there's something I think in each one of us that kind of recoils at the idea of submission. Submit? Never. You know, there's something in us that does that. And yet I want to encourage you to think about the pattern in the scripture. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, who also wrote this passage in Ephesians that we're looking at this morning, described in, in a magnificent way the willing act of submission that Jesus did with his father. It said in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, that Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, to be held on to. He said, but he humbled himself, and he took on the form of a man, and really a slave at that, and he did it willingly. He did it to the point of death, and that on a cross, and that because of that, God has highly exalted him, and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus submitted himself to his father, did he become inferior? No, he did not. Now, this issue of submission, though, merits one more kind of an asterisk kind of a comment, and that's this. What about if a wife, like times in my office where I've, or over the phone, somebody has called me, a wife who's struggling in her marriage. She said to me more than once, I've had ladies ask me, are you telling me that I have to submit to my husband in everything? My qualified answer is this. If your husband has asked you to do something illegal, immoral, really unscriptural, no. You don't have to submit to that because, you see, a husband's authority is never above God's. But at the same time, let's be honest, most of the things that cause conflicts in marriage are not issues of legal matters or moral kinds of things. They're mostly things like how do you tidy up the house or how do you squeeze the toothpaste tube? Do you know what I'm saying? Those are the things that cause us the kinds of conflicts, the little things. And this is why the scripture challenges you ladies to submit and to respect your own husbands. You know, a wife can make or break her husband. A woman who's willing to adapt herself to her husband's leadership can inspire him to unparalleled greatness. But you know, the woman who's defensive and contentious can actually strip away his masculinity and reduce him to, for lack of a better term, a spineless wimp. On the other hand, you know, the man that has given this sort of godly respect will usually become a responsible and a dependable leader, not only in his marriage and family, but elsewhere, like on his job and in his community where God has placed him to make a difference. And so this one rule for the wives, submit and respect your husband. Guys, you are not off the hook because this passage goes on to talk to the husbands and 
The one rule for the husbands is this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. And why do you think that God has given just this one rule to husbands? Again, my opinion is, is because he understands women. You see, while a man's basic need is for significance, I believe that a woman's most fundamental need is for security. She needs to know that she is accepted, that she's appreciated, that she's cherished, that she belongs just the way she is, and that she, above all else, is loved supremely by her husband. You know, when a man loves his wife as Christ loved the church, you know, he's being used by God to fulfill a very deep, almost primal need in his wife's life. The question is, again, what does this look like? What does it really mean to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, first and foremost, Paul the Apostle goes on to say this. He said, you need to be willing, guys, to give yourself up for her. You see, this kind of love that is being described in this passage is God's agape love. His unconditional love. You know, if you think of the movies, um, most guys that I know, well, let me, let me just do a quick poll. How many of you guys that are here like action movies? Anybody like, okay, all right, all right. Okay, all right. So why do guys like action movies, which women have been going like, what, for years, Okay. What's the deal with an action movie? Well, here's one reason, at least in my uneducated opinion, is that they, de they depict in almost every movie, same formula, it's, it's like bad guys are there, they're doing something bad, the good guys come in, okay? And then they do something heroic to save the day, right? That appeals to guys, you know why? Because there's something built within guys that wants to be that guy that steps up. When we see the picture of the guy diving on a grenade to, and being blown to bits to save his buddies, which is why, by the way, we have a free country today. Can I remind you of that? That appeals to men because it appeals to something inside of us that says, you know, that's the right thing to do, to step up when it's time to do that. Years ago, when Don and I were getting premarital counseling from old Pastor Gallagher, who was the pastor here for 32 years, I remember him leaning across his desk and saying to me, he said, Jerry, are you really willing to give yourself up, to have a self-sacrificing kind of love for your wife, Don? And I said, yeah, of course I am. He said, okay, well, let me give you an, an, a, an illustration. In those days, I used to be a body surfer, and I used to go to Makapu. So he said, okay, so let's say that you've gone to the beach, and you're there at Makapu, and you're in the water, and then you notice from a distance that Dawn has decided to join you in the water, and she starts to swim in, but then suddenly you realize she's in trouble. Would you go and, and rescue her? And I said, well, of course I would. Sat up straight, you know. Then he said, let me up the ante just a little bit. 
He said, let's say it's gotten really rough. I mean, big time rough. There's a current. There, the waves are, it's blown out. It's choppy. And it's a red flag day. Okay? If you, in that moment, pretty much knew that in the process of saving Dawn, that you would die in the process, would you still go? And of course, I gulped and said, yes. Then he leaned over and he said, let me just ratchet it up one more notch. He said, let's say your life was worth a billion dollars. And then he was quick to add, it's worth a whole lot more than that. But he said, let's say your life is worth a billion dollars. He said, would you be willing to lay your life down a hundred dollars at a time every day for the rest of your life? And he said, and by the way, sometimes the denomination on the bills gets higher. Would you be willing to lay your life down a little at a time every single day to give up your way to sacrifice for your wife? He said, because that's the kind of love that's being talked about here. Now, granted, there may come a time, he told me, when you may have to make that ultimate sacrifice one, in a one-time deal. But he said, in most of our lives, that's not the way it goes. Most of the time, it's a little at a time every day. Pin drop silence. And then I said, okay. <laughs> you know, as time has gone on, I've realized that no man can love his wife to the degree to which Christ loves us. However, husbands can love their wives in the same manner that Christ loves us. We need to not only give ourselves up for our wives, guys, but we need to be willing to feed and care for her. It's really the word nourish. It's the idea like of tending a garden. I'm not much of a green thumb, but those of you who are know that you've got to take time. It takes management. You've got to get in there and maintain that garden. Because the idea of nourish and cherish is the idea of drawing out. Like, a, like a, you can plant something in the ground, but to get that beautiful blossom and bloom to come out, it takes time. It takes effort. You have to nourish and cherish that thing if you want to see your wife bloom and blossom into the person that God has made her to be. Because a loving husband is going to look and, and determine, what are the qualities that God has given my wife already? I need to bring that out. Another thing that the Bible says to us here is we need to become one with our wife. This is what it means and where Paul actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, essentially quoting there that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, to be joined together, to be united with his wife. See, I think a couple, and by the way, it, it focuses on the man, but I really think it's both. I really do. That a couple needs to, first of all, be willing to 
to, to leave their own independence as well as their dependence on their parents in, a, in order to experience the true interdependence that God wants for us as a married couple. Now, this doesn't mean, for example, when it comes to parents that we don't continue to love and respect our parents. That's part of the Ten Commandments. We should continue to love and honor our parents. However, the truth is that you can, as someone said many years ago, you can never experience a true breakthrough until you have a break with. We need to leave and cleave, meaning be joined together. And then really, I always like the word weave. If you want to weave together, you need to be willing to do that. You know, a husband can make or break his wife. You know, the guy who insists on his own way every single time in a kind of a macho man, kind of a I don't need you kind of an attitude is probably going to generate a calloused indifference in his wife and which sometimes can actually lead to bitterness. On the other hand, a husband who is man enough to give up himself and his desires and give her that kind of sacrificial love that Christ gave for us on the cross is going to see his wife blossom into the beautiful, secure person that God intends her to be. So this one rule for the husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. At this time, I want to call up my wife, Dawn, my bride of 37 years, to join me on the stage. Let's welcome her, shall we? You know, Dawn, this week, we, as we were talking about uh, this uh, message, we were talking, uh, we were reminded, I think, of an old saying that um, I don't know who said it, but somebody said this many years ago that marriage isn't so much finding the right person, but being the right person. But, you know, I think when we started talking about this more, I think we agreed that it's both. It's both finding the right person and being the right person. What are some things that uh, we should look for when we're trying to find the right person? For me, uh, you know, after, after I had become a Christian uh, and committed my life to Jesus, um, and then later I had gotten baptized, um, I think the, not I think, but I know that uh, my values had really changed, you know, in what I was looking for and what I really wanted. And um, I guess it reminds me also, I wanted, you know, I really wanted someone who was committed also and was a strong and, and growing Christian. And I remember the night, you know, that we met. I always like to remember that. Um, it was a Wednesday night and, you know, we had met down in the fellowship hall. 
it was every Wednesday night we had a prayer and praise thing going on and uh, you were leading worship music and so I came in and I was making my way you know to the circle where everybody was sitting and as I got closer uh, I I looked at you leading worship and I thought yeah I thought to myself oh he's so good-looking <laughs> <coughs> I thought he's so cute you know and um, see what she's not telling you is when I was playing guitar I didn't even remember what I was playing after I saw her you know, I was bug-eyed you know but then I didn't say it out loud you know I inside I was thinking that but I think what I liked about us uh, when we first met you know we were really involved in the life of this church you know we um, we got together regularly. We went to Bible studies regularly. You know, we're doing what Base Path is now. You know, uh, we love the Lord. Uh, we were connecting with other people, you know, through the Bible study groups. Um, we're serving. You were, you became a deacon. And, you know, I helped out in the nursery. And uh, then we're, you know, we also were trying to reach the lost. We would go out and uh, reach to others. And you also went on a couple of mission trips. And I joined you on one. And so I think, you know, as, as I got to know you more, you know, all those, um, uh, the qualities that I was looking for and that I liked, you know, I really got to see in you. You know, again, time doesn't allow us to uh, spend, uh, you know, uh, going into detail. But for those of you, again, who are single or maybe single again, we cannot encourage you enough to start correctly. You know, meaning that, you know, as Donna is talking about, finding someone who's a growing Christian, a committed Christian, is the most fundamental part of a, of a happy and healthy marriage. Um, you know, of course, it's... Uh, been well proven that you need to have similar interests and goals. Those things are important, um, but we're going to tell you, uh, over time, sometimes your interests, your goals, they change. I don't go body surfing anymore, you know? Um, in other words, some things change over time, but I think the, 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 the key is, is being on the same page spiritually is going to determine which direction that you're heading in, uh, no matter what. And, and one more kind of uh, just encouragement for those of you who are single or single again, be patient um, when looking for the right person, God's selection for you. Uh, the reason I say that is because for, for, for two things, some people feel like, oh, you know, it's too late for me or I made too many mistakes or, or whatever the case might be, there's a, there's a temptation just going to sell out uh, and just pick somebody for basically in, inadequate reasons. Um, another question is, what store are you shopping in? Do you know what I'm saying? Meaning if you're looking for a certain kind of person that has a committed Christian value system, where are you looking? You, you need to answer that question. That's a hard question to answer, but it's important. Um, but it's not just finding the right person. It's also being the right person, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I know I, I like the title that you picked you know, uh, happily even after, because, you know, then I'm thinking, uh, 
there's couples where their spouse, you know, may not have committed his or her life yet to the Lord. But um, I, I feel like the solution, you know, really would never be to try to get out of that relationship or try to find someone else, you know, um, but uh, they can be the best person they can be in that relationship of what God would want. And, you know, for me, um, being the right person doesn't mean I'm always right, you know. Um, being the right person, I mean, we're, we're so different, you and me. You know, uh, can anybody tell who's type A, who's type B? <laughs> the toothpaste uh, example, who do you think would, you know, squeeze that toothpaste out till it's a flat line? <laughs> me, I just kind of press it, you know. <laughs> hey, and, and you know, some of you too, you need to know this. I mean, some of you might be thinking, oh, well, you had some kind of storybook romance. You know, you met in the church. It's like it's all been like halos on your head, you know, since that time? No. I, I mean, I hate to burst your bubble, but I just want to put that to rest once more. We're very different. Neither of us grew up in a home where our parents were committed Christians. We loved our parents. They're all gone now. Uh, and they taught us many, many good things, but um, we did not have that benefit that maybe some of you do, that, that where you grew up, where that was modeled to you. So a lot of that we had to learn as we went along. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, where a lot of that was modeled to me. And so when we got married, um, you know, we had to really practice all those things. We had to look at what the word says and, and then put it into practice. I mean, even, even I think a Christian couple that grew up having that model you know, they still have to practice those kind of things. I mean, even, you know, words like submission or anger, um, you know, we've had to learn um, submitting to one another. Uh, anger, you know, um, there were times where I know you and I, we'd, we'd really get angry with each other and I'd be in one room and you'd be in the other, you know, and he'd be like, his real German kind of mood, a, mode. A, but, but her <laughs> Korean was coming out on that part. That's not in your notes. <laughs> <laughs> but then... <laughs> well, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> but then really, uh, you know, being the right person, um, you know, it's a daily, is really a daily decision. It, it hasn't been easy. Sometimes it's been painful, but it's a daily decision um, really in what I'm going to allow God to speak to me and to change me. It's, it's really hearing, listening, and doing listening to his small, still voice, that small, still voice that speaks to you, and then doing, doing. You know, Don mentioned before that we're very different people. I mean, we not only had different 
cultures obviously growing up, but uh, you know, different family structures, uh, our personalities are polar opposites, okay? Um, you know, I, I, some of you could figure this out by now, but as a pastor, I get the privilege sometimes of performing weddings for people, and that's, of course, usually a joyous kind of a time. But I also get the flip side of that, where people will call, and they're, they're at the end of their rope. And more than once, I've heard people say, you know what, this, this, it, there's no sense, because we have irreconcilable differences. And in the most sensitive way that I can say it today, Don and I have had irreconcilable differences for 37 years. No, I'm not kidding. We, we are not the same, but you see, those differences are not there, I believe, are not there to drive us apart. They're to design to teach us to grow, to adapt, to flex, to become more one together. That's what God wants. I think even in that, going back to about, um, you know, being angry, and um, I think one thing that I like that we would do sometimes, and not all the time, but um, like we, you know, we'd be in our own room being upset, and then, you know, we'd come into the same room because, you know, we had to do something. And um, then we'd kind of, you know, be looking at each other and then we would start laughing. Yeah. You know, I think humor and forgiveness sometimes kind of blends together. I mean, it always, it doesn't always blend together, but that humor and blends with the forgiveness you know, you got to learn to laugh at life. Humor is a big part of that. I, I want to be quick to add, too, because some of what we've been talking about in terms of differences is just the differences between us, meaning challenges that we've had over the years. But, you know, we've also had challenges from the outside. Um, you know, I, I, think it, I think it's honest to say that the Lord has always been good to us, but life has not always been easy for us. Uh, in the many decades that we've been married, uh, we've had our share of difficulties in life. And whether it had to do with our kids or our work, uh, could be in-laws, it could be money, I mean, you name it. We've had our share of challenges. Uh, so we have not had some kind of a, again, golden life where everything has always gone well. But through it all, I think, what one of the things we're trying to say today is that we have decided again and again and again. Uh, God has put us together. Um, he expects us to choose. He will provide the resources internally to help us to be that right person. I heard of a story of a, uh, uh, an older couple that had celebrated over 50 years of marriage, and they came to the young pastor, and, and he said, tell me, what, what is the secret of, you know, living, you know, happily ever after? And the old-timer looked at the young pastor, and he said, two words, son. So the young guy sat up, and he said, what are they? He said, yes, dear. <laughs> Thank you, Don. <laughs> Let's give Don a hand. In just a moment, our ushers will be coming and serving us communion. But as they do, I want to 
remind you and, and really to encourage you um, because some of you are in situations that are tough today. And I may not know all the details, but like I said, I know what it's like. I've been around the block a few times. And I want to encourage you. It's no mistake that you're here today and that I pray that God has spoken to your heart. I want to remind you, though, too, that marriage in God's way that's been described to us in the scripture today isn't really hard. It's impossible. Meaning, there's no way that you or I can do what God has called us to do by on our own strength. There's no way. The only way that you can do this is through the power of God's Spirit. You know, right before this passage on marriage, Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, what better time than during communion or what we call the Lord's Supper to ask him afresh, to say, Lord, I need you. I need your power. I can't do this. I've fallen flat on my face, so to speak, over and over again. I can't be this person without your strength. If you think of what Jesus did in this beautiful picture of marriage, which Paul the Apostle said is a great mystery, but it really speaks of Christ and the church. He said that, you know, again, if you think about what Christ did on the cross, he gave, he submitted himself fully, and he showed his ultimate sacrifice all in one act on the cross. And that's a picture of when we take the broken bread representing his body and the shed blood represented by the juice. 